And we are live! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first episode of the Silicon Craftsman UX is near wild user interview. That's an You got there, you got there. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm forgetting something. Yes, the name of the podcast. So this is a wild user interviews podcast, also um, known as We Podcast. <laughs> I, I deliberately played around with uh, the initials to make sure that we have something memorable. And today with me, we've got Ollie Chapman, also known as Chaparoo. <laughs> Not known as Chaparoo. From now me. onwards, known as Chaparoo. <laughs> It could be my new identity. Who knows? I could not have thought of a better guest for the first podcast because all our longtime friends, we have calls basically every day to test ideas from each other, give career advice, everything from cracking into product to cracking into the near ecosystem and building projects in between. <clears throat> Sorry. So yeah, definitely a great first guest to yeah, see so. me through the embarrassing process of setting up <laughs> the podcasting gear. Well, I, I reckon else. it's been like two or three years now I've been telling you you should do a podcast. So We've Could definitely just... had a fair few calls where like towards the end, like halfway through I think about it and towards the end I say this would have been a great podcast. Like we should have recorded this call. We had some insights, some problem solving I was out for a walk, drinking coffee and eating almond croissants. <laughs> it should have definitely been a podcast. Yeah, very standard. So thank you for your encouragement. We're here now. No, glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. You are welcome. Before you are too drunk to be functional. I should start by saying that I will be heavily editing the podcast using a software called Descript. It's actually quite nice. You're able to edit like a document so you get a full transcript and then you just like copy, paste and take things out and it takes out the corresponding video. So we can, you know, talk loosely, freely, and then we'll just chop things out if not appropriate. So also, easy. you're so grainy. Basically, your entire face is one pixel. <laughs> I uh, reckon it's probably your internet. Looks 100% fine. my internet. But I was going to say that... These software that we're using, shout out to Zencaster. It's meant to be recording the video locally in your computer. And then somehow it's going to transmit it to me. So it should be high quality on both sides. Okay, good. Very good. Fantastic. So we should probably start by introducing what the Wild User Interviews podcast is, how it came to be, what it is aiming to grow into. Yep. So what is the structure? What are we going to do today? That is a fantastic question. In many ways, as you've said, you and many others, including myself, have been saying for a while that I should probably get a podcast. I think it plays to my strengths of being a natural extrovert. I genuinely like talking to people and it's like half fun, half insightful. <laughs> so the idea for the podcast is to try to create an asset or some content that is approachable. So we want to create avenues for more people to join crypto. And I guess in specific, the near ecosystem. And when we think of like the product and design space, I think there's a lot of people that are very smart. They're creative problem solvers that they may be attracted to crypto, but it may seem a bit, yeah, a bit foreign or it's a bit harder to crack because up until now it's been mostly technical 
So the idea for the podcast is to have open-ended conversations with members of the ecosystem and existing product people that may be interested. And the uh, user interviews aspect is basically open source, or I guess make available these conversations, because I think that all of these people would be users of the near ecosystem in one way or another. So I guess we can learn someone's pathway as a product manager how they operate, what they're interested in, what yep. difficulties they're having, people running guilds, people running projects, developers. So I think it could be really interesting. The wild aspect is just to like lower, I guess, everyone's expectations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Conversations could really go sideways or, or downhill. But we're learning as we go. And I think that's part of the, yeah, the process. Yeah, for sure. We've spoken about this before, but something a bit more casual and conversational rather than the very, very technical podcasts that typically come out of the blockchain space they can be very technical they can also be a bit shilly people trying to sell something i i watch a bunch of videos because i try to stay on top of everything that is going on to make sure that we amplify and and you know, test everything um, that comes out and it is certainly the case that once say you're a founder and, and you're given platforms it's tend to be it tends to be more of a copy paste where you just repeat your pitch and your sell. You assume that people are hearing from you for the first time. And if you only get 15, 20, 30 minutes of the time, you want them to know about your business. We want to go like the other way around. We want to get to know the person as a person. And from that, their worldviews, their experience, what motivates them, etc. From that, deconstruct what it is that they're building now and yeah, for sure. That's the the style of podcasts I enjoy listening to, the, the Joe Rogans of the world. It may have been me, but I'm going to claim it was you. This is basically Joe Rogan for poor people. I heard <laughs> this podcast is about to take over Joe Rogan, so... We're, we are well on our way. We're episode <laughs> 001. Wait, did, um, you, did you say a Spotify deal? Exclusive. <laughs> 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 it may be in the roadmap that I'll be relocating to Austin because Nier is opening a few city nodes in Austin and uh, I'll be doing some stand-up comedy there. It's my insurance policy, not to get cancelled. <laughs> and I'll be inviting Joe Rogan to this podcast. <laughs> See, people would have thought that me going to Austin, I, I wanted to be on his podcast. No, no, no. Jamie is already reaching out to me Oh, I can see it. I believe it, mate. But yeah, on a serious note, um, I think that we both draw inspiration on that kind of podcast. Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, Shane Parrish, Alex Friedman, open-ended conversations between two people. And yep. I think people enjoy that. Even if they're just like passively listening, it feels like a group of friends having a chat and you may learn something or you may be entertained, but it's like a nice way to pass time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you could be... oh, sorry. No, good. It's just going to say I listen to Joe Rogan like literally in the gym or on the way to work. I think it's a perfect medium just to enjoy yourself and learn something along the way. I don't go to the gym and I don't have a job. (laughs) (laughs) But relatable. Um, Yeah, I I sometimes walk past people on the street like driving a forklift or something and I'm like, we're both listening to Joe Rogan. But only one well, of us is if, if you're driving a forklift, you probably shouldn't be listening to anything. 
This is Australia, mate. Getting back to the theme of the podcast, it would probably be a good time to start to deconstruct who is Chaparu? Who is Ollie Chapman? <laughs> Not Chaparu. So, so what we can do is maybe I'll give like a really brief intro of what I know of you or like your recent past and your yep. immediate present and future. This sounds like a tower read. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell your future. <laughs> yeah. So I'll I'll share what I think I know of you and then we can start to unpack. You can take us further back or we can like dive deeper. How does that sound? Yeah, for sure. Let's go. So when when you were six <laughs> no, kidding. So Ollie and I met in Sydney in 2018. Those were the dark days when I spent literally six months it was actually a good time but i only lasted six months at a law firm working as a lawyer and i was actually really lucky because my team was amazing and i was working in corporate law working mostly with startups so during the day i was miserable because i just didn't enjoy the work even though the team was great and the clients were great but at night there were heaps of networking events so this is where ollie comes into the picture yep i was working at a tech accelerator they were all like focused on blockchain stuff. I think I was, was this when I was doing my little side project? Was this before then? I was hoping that you would continue the storytelling. <laughs> I went to a networking event. Ollie takes over. It was a Friday afternoon. <laughs> I was standing in a corner. <laughs> I was drinking shaking. some vanilla Coke. <laughs> yes, we're not going to do this. Okay. Yes, you were working on your side project. Yeah, so this was after I... Maybe we'll go back a little bit. Um, what do you reckon? Go far as back as you want. Far. <laughs> okay, I guess maybe fresh out of uni. Oh, wow. No, let's go even further back. When I was a young I was boy. Say, <laughs> go as far as you need up until the point when you hit puberty, but that would still wouldn't take no, us maybe. too far back. Like <laughs> maybe one or two months ago. So <laughs> Basically, yeah. No, so I was just working at a tech accelerator. I think I was doing marketing initially. It didn't last long, though. I found marketing not boring, but a bit generic. I like to bounce all over the joint, you know what I mean? Yeah, then I got an opportunity to kickstart a crypto project. That was really my first door into crypto. But that was back in 2017, the heydays when the hype was at its peak. Everyone was making money, so I thought, why but not? But nobody was working. <laughs> no one was working. And I remember sitting like this. the first time I became rich. <laughs> and the first time I became poor came about 18 months later. <laughs> no, I remember sitting at my desk one day and watching price of Bitcoin go from, I think it was 19,000 Australian to 25,000 in one day. And I was just like, holy shit, this is something I've never seen before. I was pretty much yeah. hooked from that day. I have screenshots, screenshots of Bitcoin going from 700 to 3,000. And you can see the blips in like the order books just getting obliterated. Like yeah, the it's... actual order book that the Australian Exchange, the whole order book was it's just insane. orders to be taken. And it was more exciting because at the time I was working at the co-working space here in Melbourne dedicated to blockchain stuff. And the exchange offices were within the co-working space. So people were literally running around screaming, wow, have we been hacked? Has there been a terrorist attack? What is happening to the price of Bitcoin? And nobody knew. And we just kept buying. <laughs> that was insane. Yeah, no, I got into it 2017, I think January or February. But you were much earlier than me. What was 700 bucks? When was that? 
2016, yeah. 14, 15? Mid-2016, maybe? It wasn't really that much earlier. And I thought we were peaking at 1,200. So things happened very fast. But you've touched on a really interesting topic, which I think we both have in common. So I think it could be like a, like a nice starting point as much as people would like to know what happened to your puberty and why it... <laughs> Before we Last get there. podcast, <laughs> how to increase testosterone naturally. Go check it out. <laughs> uh, thanks, mate. <laughs> now, um, we both have undergraduate degrees in something completely unrelated. You studied marketing back in the day. I did arts, law, and yeah, arts and law with you know, politics and international yeah. history. And then we have a bit of a windy path towards product and product management, yeah. which is what we're both doing now. So I guess it'd be interesting to know your uni experience. Did you have any friends? <laughs> None whatsoever. It was horrible. Obviously, yeah, I know. Um, what happened along <laughs> the way? Like... No, but I did Bachelor of Business in Management and Marketing and really I had no idea what the hell I wanted to do after school. So they kind of just sent something generic that I could use with whatever, picked Marketing and Management because it was relatively easy at the time it sounds like something people get jobs in right yeah i didn't particularly like uni it fortunately led me to the product world so i'm grateful for that but i just went into uni did the work and left it wasn't really a social thing for me i think if you lived on campus it would be completely different but i think we really have that culture here in australia what do you think it's interesting because i think both things are true the first one is the university experience in Australia is completely different. And assuming that there's people listening to this overseas, I don't know how they do it in every part of the world, but you know, if you look at the United States, it is fairly common for people to move interstate or at least spend the first year on campus. And that really creates a different university experience. In Australia, most people go to the local universities in the cities. They're great universities, but there's something about getting out of home with your parents to spend three hours at a class and then coming back it's much harder to connect with people and personally I had a blast at uni but then again I think I had that mixed experience where technically I was away from home because I came from Mm. Venezuela to study here so I was hyper social I joined every club and society I volunteered for everything that I could I guess I didn't do much study actually (laughs) Uh, but I did have a great time man and did, did meet a lot of people um yeah, no, for me, it was more of a lifestyle thing. It was literally a few hours of uni a week and then spend the rest of the day at the beach with, with my mates. It was good fun, but I mean, it seems like a waste at the end of the day. There's so many digital courses, like micro things that you could do. Like I know you're doing the design sprint at the moment. If I was to do uni again, I would just do like a handful of them. And I reckon you'd have so much more experience, more knowledge of real world Yeah, there's a couple of things there. The first one is, and other migrants have also shared this with me, like this is the things that we notice. Australians seem to be quite unique in that they have very strong like high school friends or even like primary school friends. Yeah. And they keep those groups throughout. So they go to uni and it's actually hard to meet people because everyone already has their friends and they meet someone in class, you're having a great time, you're having a coffee on the lawn. And they go, what do you do on the weekend? Hanging out with my mates. What am I? Like the the stranger around the corner that you met on the bus? I get it. It's a bit creepy, (laughs) but how do you break in? 
Yeah. And I guess I, I bring I this up because once again, like I look at everything from like a product lens now. What is the worldview of your users? What are some assumptions that you're making about them? How do they like to connect with others? It, it obviously depends on like the nature of the product, but even how do you sell to them? And if you do have a culture that is much more like Australians are pretty wild, pretty open. We don't hold back, but yeah. there are like tiers of friendship groups and professional groups and, and off it goes. You know, I definitely agree. My closest friends are probably the ones I made at school. Same with my brother and sister. Yeah, I don't know. It's a difficult problem to have. Although, yeah, i got to say the crypto community is very open. It's not necessarily like face-to-face friends that you would make, but you can make some very strong connections online. Um, sounds super weird. The like community is the best. So I'm a natural extrovert. And I think we have we don't have that in common. So what I find interesting is that when I have, for instance, last week after I had the near ecosystem hangout on Twitter, it went for two hours. It was an actually a great turnout. We had at some point we had twenty people listening in. I hung up and I had so much energy. I literally <laughs> went for a run. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it was midday in Australia, and I just went out running like Phoebe, and I was just like. This is what I need. I need to be in contact with people. And the crypto community is amazing. It's a community like like in, in a proper sense. You may be on a Telegram channel, which it's a bit chaotic, or on Discord, which a bunch of, bunch of pseudonyms. But people recognize you and people acknowledge your input and your work. And it is 100% possible to, I guess, like go up the ranks. Sounds a bit corporate, but you do start to connect with people. And we've both had it. You start on the general channel, you DM, you exchange ideas. Next thing, you've got a partner for a project. You've got funding from someone else. You're starting a product and user experience guild. Like it's, it's amazing. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think Nia is like particularly good at that through all the guilds that they've built. I've been more involved with the human guild, Sasha and Vlad. They're just open arms. If you want to chat, they will chat. If you want to run an idea past them. They're always happy to listen and give feedback. I think that's like similar to what you're building here and a lot of other guilds in near. It's perfect for kickstarting projects. I think the strength, if we had to deconstruct what makes that community special, I think that it is a self-selecting community. If we go back to the Australian case of your best mates are the ones from high school, most kids in high school have things in common. You know, they live in the same area. The parents have roughly the same income. For whatever reason, you mm. have things in common with people. No one in high school steps out of the comfort zone. The ones that do, the ones that don't fit in high school because they're weird, <laughs> the ones that don't really fit in anywhere around them because they're weird, these are the people that go to crypto. So you have to <laughs> self-select. No one is born into crypto. No one goes to crypto high school. Yes, you have to dive into the metaverse and choose a weird pseudonym and get a funky display picture and engage. And I think that crypto up until now has been like this magnet where all these weird people, they have ideas that really don't fit anywhere within the existing uh, frameworks. Loosely in tech, but some of it a lot is ideological within society or like business models or whatever it may be. And I think that's why this podcast is so interesting because we're trying to deconstruct, okay, what is it that this 
you know, misfits have, what drives them, what are their view of the world. Hopefully that will be an introduction for newcomers. What is it that got crypto going? Why, as like the underdog movement, it's gained so much momentum? Why do people keep showing up when it's a bear market? Why do people keep... It, it takes a very special kind of person and conviction to buy into a project or to continue to buy a project or and it can yeah. be in any way, financially or, or, or efforts. You put in your time before it succeeds. Because <laughs> things are pretty dire before something has momentum and it's growing yeah, 10x sure. year on year. Yeah, for sure. Do you reckon, because I've seen that kind of the misfits bonding together in a lot of these tech industries, um, but particularly ones that have financial in, uh, incentives. Look at Wall Street bets that read it. It's just like everybody working together on one thing, which is obviously to make money. I think a lot of crypto projects have that same aspect. Wall Street bets is interesting. I guess that they overlap in the category of sub-community online. And let's add a third one to that groups of third uh, sub-communities online and then try to tease out what they have in common and what's different. Yep. So say we've got crypto world, we've got Wall Street beds, and we, the third one we have just traditional gamers. You know, on a Discord server, you're playing a game. Mm. It could be anything called Duty or, or something. Can you tell I don't play video games? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that what the three people have in common is they choose to leave the physical world, the real world, where... Everything has been very politicized. Like there are expectations in people. There's right and there's wrong, often determined by someone else who doesn't know you and doesn't care about you. So I do think it's interesting that once you're able to be one layer removed in the internet, you can be anything. Mm. You can choose any pseudonym. You can have multiple accounts. It gives you a lot of freedom. And I think a lot of people are naturally frightened if they think what is the worst thing that could happen. But there's also a lot of opportunity and potential, at least from a sociological experiment, I find it interesting. How do people connect when they have an interest in common and that freedom to show up or not show up? Wall Street bets, I think, was very strictly financial and they I didn't participate, but it, you know, I'm assuming that people would show up repeatedly and maybe prove that they knew what they were talking about and be recognized by others, etc. Discord servers, I'm inclined to think it's more younger audiences or at least like less stakes in the game. So you still have a really strong community, but the interest maybe is capped within the world of the game. And I think crypto blends both. Crypto enables you to have some sort of like financial alignment but you're also creating these strongly gamified products and, and, and little ecosystems. And what I find most interesting about crypto is that no one is forced to show up. Even now with like DAOs and stuff, there's DAOs that have a ton of money in them, but you still have to voluntarily put your hand up, take up the work, keep showing up, keep engaging. Like it's very different from a traditional model where you have a contract and you reluctantly show up even if you hate it. And it's interesting. Do you think there's, I don't know how to really word this, but say like more people just trying to abuse that system because generally it is easy to get away with a lot of things. Just take a DAO giving out, I don't know, whatever it is, a few hundred dollars a month to 
to publicize a bunch of things, tweet and comment like that. Do you reckon there would be? To me, I, would, I think the obvious answer is yes, because people are trying to abuse that system. We're in like more of a tra- traditional centralized uh, model. You have a job, it's a bit harder to get away with things like that. 100%. And, and, and this comes down to a core distinction between the people in crypto, because it would be wrong to say that everyone in crypto is the same. There's two very distinct camps. Yeah. There's an idealistic camp and a fatalistic camp. And in fact, I think two of the Ethereum L2 solutions are actually opposite ends. So you've got the optimistic one and, and whatever the other one is called. Idealistic camp, there's people that think that if you could just restructure society, if you could just start a protocol from scratch and build it how you think it would be best, everything would be perfect. I would be very skeptic of that group because once again, it comes down to what are the assumptions that you're making about the users that are going to use your system. Yeah. If you are assuming that the users that are going to use your system are all going to be honest, that hypothesis is going to get tested <laughs> and the system getting abused is you getting feedback. So in some ways, not that I am encouraging people to go out and commit fraud and scam, but I do think that we just have to reconcile with the fact that it is within the human core to be corrupted. That's why we have laws and that's why we have police and that's why we have smaller social circles and and social trust, which is actually quite big in crypto. So I do think that we are very early these experiments and some of them are prone to abuse if we don't take appropriate measures. Going back to your specific DAO example, at the moment, at least on the DAOs that we're involved in, you can only really put forward a proposal, request funds, and it gets approved or denied. So it's very early days. It's a very straightforward process. And I guess that we're limited in what we can do or, or know. Going forward, I think it's going to get more more sophisticated, but definitely is something that we should be mindful of. Yeah, definitely. You touched on a good point that we are just experimenting with a lot of these ideas. You obviously have the two ends of centralized and decentralized. The right answer is probably somewhere in the middle. But you do have those diehard crypto fanatics that want to decentralize absolutely everything um, as much as possible. And I say go for it if it's an experiment. If it keeps on working, then why not? But you do have to realize when something isn't working and maybe there is some application for some centralization? hundred percent. When people talk about decentralization, I think it's easier to identify the problem and what you want to move away from. It is much harder to identify the solution and what yeah. it is that you want to build. So I think that the consensus is, especially recently, it's becoming a bit more topical. Big tech or big government having too much influence and users not even knowing what is going on or how to opt out. You know, that, that would be a th- trend that I think is going to gain momentum. But when you think about what is the alternative, you have a problem because what I've realized, especially recently with the DAOs, um, and I can dive a bit deeper in my experience with the Ref Finance Community DAO, is that there's a very big difference between decentralizing ownership, so you basically limit the power and the influence and the status of the owners of a platform to censor people or to exert you know, their influence and others. There's a difference between decentralizing that layer, say you tokenize it and the token goes out to the community, whatever. That is very different from decentralizing the team. 
yeah. or decentralizing the product in ways that probably makes it unusable. If we deconstruct that, decentralizing the team is very hard because at least now there seems to be too much money in the space. You can make a passive income, chill. Uh, degen trading, DeFi farming, and freelancing every once in a while when you feel like it. Like, it's very hard to get someone to show up full time and grind their brain trying to work out how to make the code work and, and really push things forward. So I think that centralized teams are not the worst that we can see. Maybe they'll be pseudonymous online. They can be a blend, but I do think that these projects need to have a team. We need to know who's the leader, you know. Something that came up recently was, well, who in this team has a founder mindset? Who has a vision? Where is this going? Like, I, I lose respect in projects very quickly if they raise a lot of money. And then they say, we're going to allow the community to decide what to do. No, the community should be giving you feedback on what someone whose job it is full time, it is to decide what to do. Again, it comes back down to an information asymmetry. How much time can a reasonable community member have to be across all the aspects of a business? How much knowledge, in-depth, industry-specific knowledge can an average user have across all the areas of the business? Like, it's just not reasonable to me. And caveat, I'm not technical. So the code aspect, I do trust big brains to figure out. And I do have a legal background. Like I was trained for years seeing the absolute worst that goes wrong in every possible scenario. And yeah, I guess that I'm always trying to, I mean, it, it, it's a risk management role, really. Lawyers are taught to always look out for the worst and avoid that. Yeah. Yeah, and again, like I'm not super technical either. I'm more product management, which I, there is definitely that tech aspect, but it's also that US UX aspect. So I do think there is a place for more of a mix between centralized and decentralized management style. Like Jocko Willink derives from the SEALs. It's like a decentralized line of command. So you still have like key decision makers for certain aspects of the product or the army or whatever it is. But then you do allow that certain level of freedom between each of those people. If you give someone a task, you say, do this, do it how you, instead of micromanaging, which I think COVID's pushed a lot of businesses to that structure, even just forcing people to go remote, whether it's short-term or long-term, it makes it very difficult to micromanage these days, I think. It's great that you bring up Joko because I think that I, I really like Joko because he has literally battle tested his ideas and his framework, his way of viewing the world. And I think that's where we are now. We are in a very affluent society. Everything is very cushioned. We've got safeguards everywhere. And there's a lot of people coming up with ideas and things start to get pretty interesting and pretty wild when you go from idea to execution. And I guess that as a part of the New Star Experience Guild, this is where we jump in because there's two really important elements when you go from idea to execution. The first one is, have you refined the idea and the hypothesis and what it is that you're trying to do in a way that you're maximizing your chances of success? Your idea, you should go out and talk to people and you should do some research and you should really distill what it is 
about that idea, you know, what you're infusing into that idea from your personal perspective, from your walk of life that may make it work or not. This would be really useful before you spend money <laughs> in time <laughs> on it. But then someone is most likely the idea is going to fail because let's be honest, ideas evolve over time. We can think of ideas as like a baby. Babies are cute, but babies don't have much in their head. <laughs> they grow over time. And in the same way that a baby learns over time and they can become Lex Friedman when they grow up, <laughs> we need to do the same with an idea. So once again, from a product of the New X experience is asking questions along the way. Everyone can go to an office or to Twitter and be like, we fucked up. <laughs> the important thing is to ask the questions like, where did we go wrong? What can we learn from this? It, 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 like from one to 10, how bad is this problem? Is this a kill the project kind of thing? Is this a reframe, try again? Like there's so much in the day to day that product covers and UX covers. And I think it is to some extent missing in crypto because I think that people tend to confuse idea with ideology. And that's why I like Joko. His ideology has been battle tested. Yeah. Ideologies in crypto need to be battle tested. And I guess that's where we come in to do all the user <laughs> testing and whatnot. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I, it's probably way too oversimplified simplistic but i always see product management as like three tiers the ux the technology and the business and once all they're balanced that's when you can make good products generally i find the crypto markets way too focused on pure technology near not so much a lot of the functionality is very ux i think you do need that balance to balance those three, three things Yes, you're 100% correct. Those are definitely the three ingredients of a successful business. But I think that what we have to acknowledge as well is that the mix required is different depending on the stage of the business. It's like driving a car. I don't know if people still drive manual. Let's call it steam. When you're going, you go in first gear and it's like more revs, but slower. And then you change gears and can you tell that I grew up driving on the other side of the road? Change gears with my right hand. I was a great driver, by the way, before I rode off two cars and never drove again. <laughs> Jesus, we're coming back to that. And it's funny because I tell people I grew up driving in Venezuela. I can drive anywhere in the world. You people don't know how to drive. Because <laughs> I see some hopeless people on the streets here. And anyway, kudos to Elon Musk and self-driving cars. Looking forward to that. But yeah, look, when we look at crypto, I think that these is where... There's a really good example of something that is super simple, everyday stakes, bread and butter for product managers, but that it may be novel or like a really interesting uh, framework for crypto people to look at. If you look at the technology adoption curve, you've got innovators, early adopters, early majority, late majority, and laggards. I think that's the case. You can look it up. And there's a framework of it where you have the what's it called, like the, the, the chasm, the chasm. It's like, it's like a valley of death yep. in between early adopters and early majority because, you know, things get tough there and usually funding dries up. So I think that when you look at the crypto as a whole, it can be misleading. I can understand where people could be misled. If you've been in crypto, like I have, since Ethereum was $4, 16 24 
and there was nothing online, and then you look at a sushi swap or a uni swap or an Avi, we've made it. The vision that we had, we've made it. Avi has 20 billion in the bank. Like it is easy to see how as an underdog with vision and very patchy technology, there is something there. It exists. But when you pull one step back, and especially once again, from a product and user experience perspective, from a marketing business perspective, you realize the crypto market is tiny. No one is using crypto. The Commonwealth Bank of Australia makes Avi's entire market cap in a quarter in profit. <laughs> like I've told people they've got fifty, dollars $100,000 in savings in dollars waiting to buy a house here in Australia. And I was like, oh, you know what, if you like... You know, I, actually, I shouldn't be going around giving financial advice, but I give them <laughs> hypotheticals. I give them yeah, sure. hypotheticals. What if you put down the money in Bitcoin, you have all the upside, and then you borrow money against it, and you still have money for your apartment? No one's touching DeFi. For whatever reason, and volatility would be a big aspect of it, maybe don't gamble your first uh, property uh, on DeFi. <laughs> there's a big gap to bridge, and there's a huge market to tap. So I guess that when you look at that crypto adoption curve, my theory has always been that crypto is unique because at the moment, or at least up until very recently, we were definitely in the innovator state. The innovators were the same people as the users and the same people as the investors. And when you have that combination, it's really weird because yeah. as a user, you're willing to put up with friction because all the assumptions that you would make of a user never having used crypto go away. You built this thing from scratch, from CLI. You know how to navigate all the corners to make it work. And it gets worse. Because when you bring in investors as outside money, they bring in expectations. <laughs> and they bring expertise. When you build this and all these guys are crypto rich and they don't have to worry about money. Once again, like, are we lacking ambition? I don't know. Maybe, once again, it's a self-selective circle. But I see the people on Twitter talking about trading tens of thousands of dollars worth of crypto punks. And I was like, is this the biggest challenge we have in crypto right now? Have we reached the point where very expensive digital art is the epitome of what we do? That can't be possible. That can't be true. There has to be more to taking this product and service and potential to the masses. And I think that's what takes us to near. It's a nice segue. Yeah. which Thank you, Oli. <laughs> which it is that shift from technology focused to more of a balanced tech and UX. But yeah, no, I think you first introduced me to near well, it was probably almost a year ago. Price was oh, I'm gonna take credit for your <laughs> big brains joining the ecosystem. <laughs> the price was about what it is at the moment, unfortunately. It felt like a steel then, which means that it is doubly a steel now. <laughs> yep. Silver linings. <laughs> but yeah, it was by far the easiest like wallet to to understand i literally set my dad up on one and he, he pretty much got it straight away as well i've got a couple of ethereum miners back home and my mom looks after them she's learned how to use metamask and she knows how to check like the mining rate and how much is coming in and and she gives me a lot of trouble because i often use the ethereum that i mine to pay for ethereum fees when i do stuff on the ethereum side of things and for a while it was extremely expensive i don't know exactly how it works <laughs> But all the money that I was making as a miner, I was burning in fees plus more. So I'm like, these unit economics are out of Please. whack because users that are getting ripped off with really expensive gas, things that we're making all the money, but we're not. Like, where is the money going? 
Where anyway, is it going? Um, <laughs> the point is that my mom knows how to use MetaMask, base, basic stuff. And I set her up with Nier and she's, is, is it? This is amazing. It feels like a normal product, Web 2.0. And I think that is why, and this is something that I want to make really clear, because I think that there's a lot of people like me. If you've been around crypto for a long time, you choose where you want to be, who you want to work for, where you want to develop your product. There's no shortage of options out there. There's a ton of them. And there's a big distinction. Like I choose where I invest and I put some money where I think the fundamentals may be there. Disclosure, I'm staking some Solana and I'm staking some other projects that may be seen as competition. But where I choose to spend my time, where I see the potential, where I feel that the fundamentals win or will win long-term and I feel like I'm talking like Mark Cuban, only that I'm in the negative net worth. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, where I feel like the fundamentals to win is that Nier's vision and hypothesis is super simple. We already figured out the technical layer. People have been misled because Ethereum hasn't been able to scale. People think that blockchain can't scale. That's not true. Blockchains have scale. There's a ton of them that can do what Ethereum can only dream of doing. The problem is that these blockchains innovated looking backwards. They were looking at Ethereum and they thought, what can Ethereum not do? We'll do it. They weren't looking forward. See, these blockchains failed to ask themselves, if we had a blockchain that is fast and scalable, what would have to be true for everyday people on the street? I'm looking here out the window. There's a middle-aged lady with a dog, what would have to be true for her to be able to use blockchain in the same way that she uses Facebook or Instagram or whatever her online banking application is? And I don't know how deliberate the Neo team was, although increasingly I'm going through some of their old content from 2018, and I'm actually quite surprised that user experience has been top of mind since 2018. But it is amazing. They've got this ginormous brains that they worked out the technical layer and we could go into detail with that although i feel that when it comes to content around the near that has been covered really well you've got sharding and nightshade and, and, and bridges and, and but they also have the user experience component and i feel like they've done some amazing work at going let's talk user journeys user experience when you think of user experience the customer journey is at the core of it you lay out from beginning to end all the touch points that the user has with your product. And then at the very end, you have to define what it is that they're trying to achieve and have they achieved it. Are they happy? Are you delight? You exceed expectations. I think they've done a great job. And it starts with an account model. Is having an account that starts with zero X and have a ton of digits and a, and a private seat phrase stored in a computer, which is probably going to die and, and it's hard to keep secure. Is that an experience that we can expect anyone to have on any service where they put reasonable value in? Probably not. Look, I know people that have been in crypto for years and they still lose access to wallets or they still get hacked. Like it's a very big hurdle when you decentralize the experience to remove the, yeah, the managing of people's data securely, as secure as centralized services can be. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's just one example of how they've managed to build a really nice stack that enables good user experience. Yeah, it, it almost feels like you're signing up to Instagram or something when you make a near account. You do have the one hurdle of funding that account to actually get your name. But if you can sort that out, it's 
it's it's cool like you can pick your own username and i think there's also something tangible there like you try to claim some good names like i somehow managed just to get ollie.near and i was stoked <laughs> it seems i don't so want to give away which other name you managed to claim <laughs> let's just I say that <laughs> we we've got him on our <laughs> it will be coming to us soon these were once again credit where credit is due the near team has done an amazing job at building basic infrastructure that allow anyone to come in and build a great application that feels like web 2.0 on top but once again this is where we come in we're with product people how many applications built on top of near can we say have that excellent user experience including decent looking ui you know user interface yeah pretty design somebody thought deliberately about the colors and the font (laughs) (laughs) which surprisingly takes a lot of research and thought behind it it takes a lot of research this is where we get people with funky haircuts and fashion it's find in many different it, ways. Where the hipsters have a place. You need to have the creatives in the room. You do. And that's what we need. And that's what, look, most crypto people acknowledge this. And now we have crypto people acknowledging, look, we can build a backend. That's fine. And we've got enough money to pay for anything, really. How can we get these creative problem solvers to improve our products? That's why we have a product news experience guild. That's why we have a deliberate effort to expand the ecosystem, to allow for more people. And that's why we're having this podcast. Yeah, there are a lot of cool projects starting to pop up on here. Um, but to put it bluntly, a lot of them could do with a, a good UX review or a design sprint to really nail down like what you actually want to accomplish with your project and how can you get there in a beautiful, simple manner. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's a good problem to have because it is the layer of the cake. It is a layer of the stack that it takes people with skill, with experience, with dedication. It is an art and a science. People shouldn't be underpricing and underpaying and underestimating designers or product people just because maybe they operate in in, in a different way. Uh, than hard-coded technical people but it is easier to make a website look really nice and to smoothen the experience that the user has you go from two pages to only one maybe you add an extra button you add an extra label that side is easier than whatever it is they're doing on the back end and trying to make the blockchain stuck to each other and whatnot and look obviously we're biased because I can barely <laughs> talk with Siri and my computer. Like, <laughs> maybe the technology side seems disproportionately hard to me. But this is where the conversation has to be. I think it would be really encouraging for product people and design people to know that there is technical talent dealing with these bucket of problems. If we focus on this bucket and the feedback that we provide is going to be well received and there's going to be you know like a healthy relationship. I think this is extremely powerful. And let's be honest, any product design broad bucket of creative problem solvers, I think it is very likely 
that they could find a more fulfilling, more fun and better remunerated profession if they came over to the crypto side. <laughs> I don't know, pretty bold statement. Like you're still on the traditional side. Uh, <laughs> you're dipping the toes. You're just very conservative the fiscally. It's definitely more exciting. I'll give you that. There's a, a lot of things that can move to the crypto world and it will happen. It's just going to take time and a bit of more focus on UX. Um, Bit, bit more focus on the mass adoption and, and we will get there. Once again, focus by whom? Because that's where I see my role. And I guess to provide a bit more context, we should have probably said this earlier. The The way in which Near is growing, it's actually really interesting, a fascinating case study in decentralization as you scale and an experiment in and of itself. So the Near Foundation, I'd say it's at the very top. They've got a big community treasury. And as the ecosystem is growing, there's been like more layers added, which is which each layer is becoming like a self-sustaining autonomous unit. So one of the many layers removed would be the guilds. So the guilds at Near are community-run projects or initiatives. So we have total discretion and autonomy of what we do and how we do it. But the foundation does fund initiatives. There's a couple of different structures there. Some guilds have a bit of a fixed budget to allow them to have more like long-term planning, like the part of the New York Guild. This one is deemed to be core to the ecosystem and able to provide a lot of value. <laughs> Ooh, pressure's on. <laughs> And there's other guilds that can be project-based. There's a bunch of them. You can go check them out on the website. So I guess that when we talk about the focus should be on X, the question is whose focus? Because we know that the foundation, which operates at a very deep technical level, the focus right now is in making the blockchain work and making sure that the things that we identify as nice-to-haves or even like fundamental, like, like we need this to work, for us to be able to build a product, that's what they're doing. I feel that the focus in many ways is on us, and I'm going to say us loosely as product and user experience guild and community more broadly. The focus is on us to take the message to the broader public. Do you have a business idea that could potentially live on the blockchain, but maybe you've heard that Ethereum is extremely slow or expensive? Because let's be honest, when faced with the restrictions, when faced with the constraints that Ethereum has, most serious businesses and startups just go the traditional way. They go centralized. How many projects applying to YC are crypto? Not many. How many people racing series is A, B, C, D, F, G, whatever, they go all the way now. So I think that's where the conversation needs to start. And once again, like it's not just illustrating that now we've got a really user-friendly stack, which allows you to build, I'm not going to say anything, but it allows you to build a lot of things. Yeah, we're getting also, there. Yeah, we're definitely getting there. But also, it is a matter of market share and positioning. So I've always said that some of my non-techie friends have failed to understand why venture capitalists were willing to subsidize you know, Uber, for years, like why would an investor be okay with a company losing billions of dollars a year 
for you to have a cheap ride back from the bar after <laughs> you shit faced. And I explained to them, you have to understand, we're only going to leave this moment of rapid tech adoption once. You know, this is the digital equivalent of a land you think back in the 1500s or whenever it was, all the ships going out there looking for land. Once all the land in the world has been discovered and once someone put a flag on it, that's mm. it. There is no new land. You can't start a new country from now. I guess that the new frontier is Mars. <laughs> <laughs> and who knows how that's going to work out. But also the new frontier, and the crazy thing is, the one that is accessible to everyone is the metaverse. Uber doesn't care about losing money for two, three, four, five years, because once they are the dominant player, they're going to be the dominant player for a very long time. So I think that kind of positioning in crypto is really powerful. Not only can you be a dominant player within blockchain and decentralized world as a whole, but even within the near ecosystem, like right now, launching is insane because you have an entire community of very active, very dedicated people supporting you. Like the recent token sales that there's been, Skyward and Ref, they're raising insane amounts of money. And this is all very community wanting to see projects succeed. We want to attract people to build on near, and we want to make sure that they succeed. And we'll give them capital, we'll give them feedback, we're trying to recruit talent for them. It's a good time to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, definitely. Just carve out your piece of the metaverse. Exactly. <laughs> Have your pirate flag. <laughs> Put your stake in it. <laughs> yeah. No, but you're not wrong. Um, it I've is got my standing desk. Oh, fancy. Stretch those legs. <laughs> huh? Stretch those legs. Mostly my back. It is interesting, though, to look at it from the centralized point of view, too. I know Facebook is such a heavy focus on VR, and they, I reckon they'll build some very big metaverse in the future. Um, you, you also have a lot of games these days building their own small metaverses. Look at Fortnite. They have, like, virtual concerts in real time that send, sell millions of dollars worth of just skins. It literally means nothing. But it works. So we can translate that into decentralized where instead of just owning a piece of skin that does nothing, that you can actually sell off and change and upload your own versions, that would be just next level. You're onto the money because the, the, there's two big trends here. The first one that I see is the technology. So I feel like all these games are pioneering in the creation and the testing of the technology. It reminds me, I don't want to date myself, but <laughs> back when I was like in high school, maybe primary school, a friend brought like a phone with a camera. Like this was like the latest Nokia with a <laughs> camera. And we were like, whoa, like the future is here. This is before the iPhone, just to make things clear. The photos were potatoes. The photos were the worst quality you can imagine and the screen was tiny oh, yeah. and there was basically no way to transfer it to a computer. And basically that's why I have a career now because there's no footage of me in high school. <laughs> we really <laughs> got to board. <laughs> oh, I, I would have had to, yeah, I, I, I would have cancelled myself, yeah, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> but now, the interesting thing is that somebody looking at the phone in the photo, they would have said, look, this makes no sense. Clearly, it's not 
better than anything that exists right now, but it hinted at a trend. And you can extrapolate that as far as you want because then you've got phones with proper cameras and then you've got the Instagrams and the filters and the streaming and the creator economy. It just keeps, it never stops. It keeps going. Yeah. So I see games pioneering merging with the second trend that I was going to mention, which is technology and businesses colliding, converging, both. The blockchain space is fascinating because it, it does allow you to think in different ways when it comes to business models. So the fact that you can have non-fungible tokens and a bunch of incentive design, mechanism design, like that could be an entire podcast and we probably will have an entire podcast. We're certainly working on having design sprints around this because it's just fascinating what you can do. In fact, as we hit the one hour mark, you wanted to bring up some points about uh, design sprints in general. We're both doing a bit of a design sprint workshop uh, training now, which we're really excited about. Yep. And it's exciting because it's one of those instances where you come across a well-established practice and framework in the product world mm. that when you combine that nice, neatly laid out structure with our experience dealing with real projects in the real world, and these bullshit cycles of never-ending discussions and lack of certainty and lack of anything, you bring the two together and you're like, okay, if I could be empowered as a product person to approach a team and say, look, I've got this framework, let's run through it, you have a very high level of certainty that team could benefit greatly from the clarity that it brings. Oh, and in sure. crypto, I think the project, um, uh, the problem or, or the potential is even more acute because once again, we've got mostly tech people, which are really good at building the technology. Yep. But as you build the product on top of the technology, or you could look at it as a commercialization of that technology, that's when product people could come in and help shape things up a little bit. Yep. I don't know if you had anything in mind when you mentioned that you wanted to run like a design sprint with me for the guild. Yeah, this is stemmed from that book that I can see in your background, Sprint, by Jake Knapp. Also, oh, you could see the book in my background, but you didn't mention anything about the dirty place. <laughs> 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 Mate, you've been lying uh, to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the one. Shout out to Jake Knapp. Shout out. Jonathan. And the other guy. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not completely... You are the other guy to my Jake Knapp. <laughs> I would be happy... Happy to be the Jamie. <laughs> you are the near cat to my near. <laughs> uh, That's good. Yeah, but I've just started that book and super enjoying it so far. And I think, first of all, d Design Sprint is just like a week or even four days now session to really flesh out what you're actually trying to solve or problem that you're trying to solve and a few potential solutions and then really prototyping and testing those solutions to validate your ideas before you actually commit to them and i always thought it was just product specific but it sounds like it's more general than that you can do it from a they did it with the book title and cover so yeah I, I thought it might be a good idea to test out what you're doing with silicon craftsman through a design sprint yeah very well said i think you very accurately summarized without <laughs> any help the subtitle of the book 
Ooh. The subtitle says, <laughs> Print, how to solve big problems and test new ideas in just five days. Ooh. <laughs> You've definitely done your reading. Congratulations. Now, before we start, I should say that I, I also bought the book, $35, but I also paid for the online workshop, $2,000. And I must say, the book would have been enough. <laughs> it's, it's it's okay. I love learning, um, and I feel like I'm 100% going to get my money back either way. But the, I guess this is not a criticism of the workshop. I guess this is more encouragement that it's amazing how a $35 book can provide so much value and push you forward in yeah. your career. And this is just one example. Ollie and I both like to read a lot. Uh, when we can. I think the last book I read was last year. What I was going to say is we should definitely run design sprints, broad propositions for the ecosystem. Not a bad idea to start maybe with the guild to clarify some things. If I could just add a couple of things to your description of what the design sprint is or what the, where the value comes from. I think that the problem that I've come across more often and where I think a lot of the value is, is that when you get a group of people together to discuss something, everyone has very valid grievances and very valid ideas and half-baked solutions, but it's very hard to come to an agreement on any of those. It's very hard to come to an agreement on what the problem is or on what the whatever solution may be or how to merge them because at any one point in time, Everyone is focusing on different... I may be focusing on the nature of the problem. Somebody else is focusing on the nature of the solution. Somebody else is focusing on an interaction they had with a customer and a specific feedback for a specific use case. So once again, I'm a very visual person. And I guess that through my legal training... Sorry, I'll stop showing off now. I'm also very analytical. Like I, I like to see in a list... One, two, three, four, five, one A, one A, nine, seventeen. You can pin things down specifically. When you get a letter of demand, you respond to each claim and it one claim, one paragraph. Like things need to get addressed properly. So what I like about the design sprint is that it's very open-ended. You have heaps of sticky notes and, and, and little things to vote and people draw. And you really allow everyone to bring everything out. And you place it on a timeline and you vote and you remix. So it's a, it's a really nice way to get everyone on the same page, get everyone motivated that they had an opportunity to express themselves, that they had an opportunity to learn. Because, you know, there's a period where you may bring in some experts to answer questions or present on a topic to make sure everyone's in the same level of understanding. So design sprints are amazing. We shall be reporting some design sprints with some near projects in the near future. Yep. What I wanted to run by you while I have you, because we don't want to keep this one too long. I have an idea for this podcast, and this is going to be a major alpha leak (laughs) to the two or three people that we're listening to the first episode. But it's great because we're going to capture it raw as it is now. And we, I guess we will see in, in the real world in due time what actually... Yeah, for sure. No, I'm excited. Shoot. Yeah. So one of the things that I love about blockchain, and this is something that if you're a product or designer or creative outside of the crypto space at the moment, you really need to get your head around is crypto allows you to create like self-contained ecosystems where you can really go to town with uh, 
incentive design and behavioral design. So if you've done any work or, or, or readings, if you're attracted to gamification, crypto takes it to the next level. It really taps into a bunch of human trends from wanting to feel special and recognized, to giving people status, to giving people money, to there's a few things in there that you can tap into. So I'm going to give you a very specific example with this podcast. We know that the the battle for attention is savage at the moment. Every man and their dog oh, definitely. and their cat as well probably <laughs> has a podcast now. Yep. And even though ours is quite niche and I'm interested in capturing content, even if people only listen to it in six months' time or whatever, I do think that there's some interesting experimentation that we can do. Are you ready? I am. So... When thinking about this podcast, I applied some of the thinking hats that you may apply more broadly to every project. Yep. So some of the hot trends right now are decentralized governance and decentralized ownership, uh, incentive design, so giving people some sort of reward for participating, um, NFTs as digital art, and potentially more. We're starting to see NFTs as digital ticketing, etc. And those, I guess, like technical trends, you start to rinse them through real world questions pertaining to your business. So in my case, I start to think of, okay, new podcast, how can we make it more attractive to attract high quality speakers? Or how can we make it to create a different business model where early community mm. members that support the podcast are able to benefit from it? Or how can you start to play around to get some sort of an edge? So, are you ready? Yeah, I'm waiting. I, I would use, yeah? Yeah, go. Hey, this is being a long build-up. <laughs> it has. <laughs> 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 You're like, I don't even have the pages anymore after two years. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I would use the whiteboard behind me, but I had a full-on sesh the other day with Jordan, and afterwards <laughs> I realized you can't see anything on it. Do you have anything on there that you need to cover up? Yeah, yeah I've written the, my, my private keys on it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I may, I may sometime, just for fun. That would actually be an Easter egg hunt for... It's actually a good idea. You should do that. <laughs> Next episode, guaranteed. At least 0.1 near on there. I'll drop some Shiba. <laughs> <clears throat> so, I was thinking first from the perspective of creating a special experience for guests, especially. We're going to have some guests like you, but more that are going to be on the product side of things that may not have experienced crypto yet. So I was thinking of ways of introducing them to the nearverse and experience a crypto transaction, et cetera, for the first time in a way that was exciting and memorable. So the first thing that I come up with was we'll be talking with people all over the world and I was going to say internet. Alcohol is a social lubricant yep. and coffee is delicious and whatever, maybe some nibbles because the call may be long. So I thought of giving people like an allowance. That sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Encouraging people to buy themselves some sort of snacks 
yeah, for sure. appetizers for the podcast and to put through a proposal for payout on the UX season year, which is the Guild DAO. So it could be a really simple way. I'm expecting requests to be anywhere between 5 and $20 if they go to town. I think it'd be really cool because it's obviously not about the money. Nobody is going to invoice you for a drink yeah, or yeah. two. It's just a really nice use case of experimenting with the DAO. Mm. So that was the first one. Yeah, no, um, that's, um, that's a really good idea, actually. Um, it's a good use case as well. Would you do it live? Get them to make an account, then you fund it, and then they make a request on the DAO. We could 100% do it live, taking into account that most of the podcast is going to be audio only. The video will be available on YouTube, but the video, as far as I'm concerned, I hope so, it's only the camera. It's not recording the screen. You have no idea what is being on my screen. <laughs> I don't want to know, mate. <laughs> you don't want to know. You don't want to know. Uh, yeah. well, maybe you're setting up yeah, that so, OnlyFans account we've been talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was one option as far as creating the user experience for guests. Another one that I thought would be really good would be to give people like numbered NFTs. So you were episode number one. You get a really nice NFT. We crowdsource from the community. Once again, you can see how here we start to double. So we want to create a special experience for guests. We want them to have a good time. Not you, <laughs> but some of our guests really are quite busy and yeah, they yeah, have no, a of sure. work and they would charge people a lot of money for an hour of the time. So we want them to have a good time and we're generally grateful mm. for them coming on board. That will be layer one. Layer two is we want to engage your community as much as possible. So you can see how if we run ongoing, uh, what do you call, I don't know why, I guess I'm tired. The word is coming to me in Spanish. Ongoing competitions yeah. for the community to submit NFTs and then we'd pay for it. And when yeah. I say we, I mean the community DAO <laughs> <laughs> or someone, there should be magic money coming into the UX is in your DAO. We'll be paying for this art. And once again, my ideal would be, you know, if we had to set up some KPIs, this is free marketing from us. If you were to think of, okay, there will only ever going to be 100 people listening to the podcast, most likely they're going to be community members. So how can we be present in the community member's mind? How can we draw their attention to this? How can we make them feel like this podcast is mm. theirs? or for them which is yeah that's a great idea too so basically at the end of this podcast the community would come up with a few cool art pieces about something relevant that we've been speaking about you pick one of them turn that into an nft and give it to the host uh not the host the, the guest oh my god see the power of brainstorming and bouncing yeah, ideas of each other that's a really cool idea you just gave me an amazing idea as well People would create the NFT after listening to the interview. So the NFT could be themed about anything that came up or anything, anything specific about the speaker. Oh, that is such a good idea. As long as it's not me on a kangaroo saying a chaparoo. <laughs> it is. Uh, I'll pay double uh, out of my own funds for a chaparoo. <laughs> 
That's where the playfulness kicks in. And we do have to have some guidelines. Obviously, the problem with creativity is that it has no boundaries. (laughs) So, you know, some some guidelines for submissions would be necessary. We can't really stop people from putting you inside a kangaroo. (laughs) Don't give people ideas. (laughs) Okay. I'm glad you clarified in a pouch. Danke, danke. Awesome. That's a, it's another great idea. Obviously, just laying them out yeah, yeah. loosely, not necessarily in order, because if I had set them in order, then a similar initiative, but I guess like more early stage, would be the creation of the artwork for the podcast. You know how when you open Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts, whatever application you use, there's a square artwork, which is always the same. It's consistent. You know, Joe Rogan has his horrific face too close to the camera with the red and black pattern i don't know why it's such a bad image i personally <laughs> don't like it but it's classic <laughs> but yeah some podcasts have really good ones so i've come across i did a little bit of research and i've got a good page with you know really good guidelines how to keep it simple the measurements etc so i think that's another really good task that i'm going to allocate to ows i've already messaged sophie to understand a bit better the collaboration between the two guilds Namely, who's going to pay for this? There's magic money on both sides. Money shouldn't be an issue. And once again, I think it'd be a really good way to engage the community, come up hopefully with a way better artwork than I would have made myself. And obviously, I really like finding ways for the community to be able to earn money, especially in the early stages. So if we were going to spend money in a logo... I'm more than happy that it is going to OWS participants. Yeah, no, I really like both of those ideas. It's a good way to involve the community, get more listeners, and also incentivize the guests. What's that? And I was going to mention this at the beginning of the podcast to take the edge off a little bit. Yeah. But I chose not to. Oh, God. (laughs) There is a very real chance that no one is going to understand this podcast. Even I struggled to understand your Australian accent and mine is a hybrid. Mine is a mutt between American, Australian and whatever, South American. And I think people are just going to tune out. (laughs) That's where the power of editing and subtitles come into play. On YouTube, yeah, I'll add that disclaimer on Apple Podcasts if you cannot understand us. Dude, I realized my accent is so bad when I started editing videos and the bloody transcription thing, it gets it wrong half the time. Nah, it's not that bad. And I was like, maybe their software is bad. No, I replay and upon listening to me and seeing the transcription, I'm starting to pick up that I'm saying things incorrectly (laughs) but that's how people talk here it is so anyway um that is a side note hopefully we will get more listeners but once again like when we look at our customer segment uh, our audience near is very international and near has actually been remarkable at getting a lot of users and a lot of interest a lot of builders in non-western countries they've got heaps in southeast asia south america there's a near city node opening up in africa i think that my theory for that is that these are communities with a very high pain point. They've got real problems in the society where they see the value and the use of decentralized technologies. Yeah. 
and they were priced out of Ethereum. Mm. Ethereum was just too expensive. They didn't bother engaging for the last two years. Yeah, that's just a side note. Do be mindful of, I should be speaking a little bit slower. We will be adding captions to the video. Now, we've been warming up and I know that we have already gone way over time. I know that you have your bedtime coming up soon. <laughs> Mate, it was half an hour ago. <laughs> 7.44 p.m. for the record. <laughs> now, we've been warming up. So far we have, let's go in order this time, the artwork for the podcast, competition, NFTs, based on the content of the episode competition. Yep. Yes. We'll pay out more because it's going to be an hour of the time plus yeah, doing the sure. artwork. And the guests requesting uh, reimbursement uh, for some snacks. Yeah, yeah no, I things get go really hot. Great. This is where things get really hot, and this is where the pre—I was going to say the prenup. No prenups tonight. <laughs> the preamble that I had uh, uh, before we jumped into this exercise. Now, where things get interesting is I'm thinking of some sort of a tokenomics model. So say we create a DAO for the podcast. So this would be the first podcast, which would be a decentralized autonomous organization. And uh, just to draw the parallel here, podcasts can actually grow to be large media companies. It's amazing how much power they can be in brand recognition, oh, in sponsorship sure. money, in just cloud. There's a lot of money in being mm. able to deliver a message to people. So hypothetically, when we take over Joe Rogan, <laughs> the, the podcast as a thing, as an entity, would have traditionally been whatever, like an LLC in Delaware, which accumulates the value of the company and, and invoices for advertising. I'm thinking of having a DAO and ideally a DAO LLC registered in Wyoming. I'm talking with the legal guild to learn more about that setup. And what I'm thinking is if and when the podcast starts taking sponsors, they pay the DAO for the sponsorship and then DAO members mm. decide how the money is dispersed, which should obviously be 100% to me. <laughs> <laughs> no DAO member is getting admitted to vote <laughs> unless all the money goes to me. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's yeah, also a good idea. Um, been, well, well that's what the economics is in. Because if you think about it, and this is a question that we haven't quite solved, or at least I haven't seen all the DAOs in the ecosystem because it's so early. If the DAO controls the funds coming into it, and let's assume that there's ongoing revenue, you've sold out ads for the next six months and the number of listeners is only going up. Yeah. Then what is the process for people becoming part of the DAO? Like, naturally, I think people would have to buy in. The value of being a member to the DAO will be proportional to the assets that the DAO controls. Okay. Uh, am, so, am I correct? So some kind of governance token. That's where things get murky. Like, it is governance in the sense that you have a say on how the money gets dispersed. But if the money coming in is an income stream, then technically it is the same as ownership. You govern the protocol because you own it. 
we've abstracted the ownership layer in some of this crypto talk, let's be honest, mostly for legal reasons. We like to say that a governance token doesn't have any inherent value in it. But if there is money in that treasury, mm. then it must have a value. So anyway, the silicon token... Silicon token. Um, is a possibility. Once again, like I'd find a way where... Yeah. This is a hard challenge I mean, to crack, but there's, yeah, there's a lot of, a bit of cool things you could do. Um, just completely spitballing, but with your episode NFTs, what if you had two per episode? One would go to the guest, second one would be auctioned off and then used as a token for the DAO. It'd be pretty cool. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> now you could be the first I, first decentralized podcast could be- bro you just blew my mind <laughs> actually could this be a way i'm thinking of a way of potentially expanding the number of submissions that win so say we pay out one because that's the one that we gave to the guest, but maybe we auction off three more mm. so that all three have voting power or something like that. Because it could be interesting to have actually like a like an NFT in for each podcast. Oh, it'd be very cool. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm getting excited. Yeah. There's some really interesting stuff you could do with this. Yeah. Because the other option, I guess the more straightforward one would have been to have the silicon token. Once again, you always try to find like fair ways to distribute it among the community. Mm. So guests would receive some tokens, hypothetically, not making any promises. (laughs) Um, If we could find a way to airdrop them to listeners, that'd be sick as well. Obviously community participants, if they create NFTs, you try to distribute as many as possible Uh, most of them would be for me (laughs) (laughs) but also at some point they are sold off because what i find weird in that cycle is that it becomes like like a catch-22 people are buying a token to control the treasury but when when they buy the token their money goes into the treasury anyway (laughs) yeah so it's a It, it, it's not an incorrect model, just to be clear. That is actually the model that Skyward Finance has. So when you buy the Skyward token, you get a proportional claim to the treasury and the treasury grows with each subsequent sale. So I guess that I would just have to do more research on how that works. What I'm trying to get to is I need to understand how I get paid. <laughs> <laughs> because I've been living in a shared house for way too long and I don't know if you guys can hear, but some of the product demos that I've done there's roaring laughter in the background. You know why? Because we're in lockdown. <laughs> and while I'm working hard here in front of you, my housemates are getting high. <laughs> uh, the joys, no, mate. Not. The joys. <laughs> no illegal activities have taken place during the duration of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, Got to cut it off early because at 8 p.m. the meth comes out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you work out that structure before, don't don't die on the first episode, mate. 
Oh, jeez. It's, <laughs> it's gone. I'm the new host. <laughs> Not a variant. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies. I'll cut that one out. No, leave it in there. Maybe. It's great for the audio. Yeah, yeah you, hit me. You can just lay it out before you start making these sales. So just say every auction of the NFT, the episode NFT, you just take a cut. But if that was written into the code, I'm completely sure that the community would be fine. Actually, that is a really good point. So I think a big component of the design sprints that we want to run is, sure, we'll do it with some existing near projects to help them improve. But I'm really interested in running design sprints, let's call them with the community more broadly. And the focus for those design sprints is bringing in ideas, like, like the ones that we're discussing now, with the technical capabilities of Nier. So the, ex- the specific example now would be we're talking about auctioning an NFT and trying to decide how do different stakeholders make money. And from the Nier side, I immediately saw the opportunity. Great idea, by the way, Oli. <laughs> I immediately saw the opportunity because Mintbase allows you to add a ridiculous amount of people <laughs> as the recipients of the money. You can add them. I don't know if it's a once-off or they can be multiple ongoing for the royalties. So there could be a a split, 20% for the artist, 20% for me or people involved in the production of the podcast because we expect the team to grow. (laughs) You'll be my Jamie. (laughs) Um, And then 60% can go to the community treasury so that I can submit more proposals to keep paying myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is think, co- it's it's completely fair enough. Yeah. I think you should roll with it. Some good. I'm going to spin out an NF- uh, a mint based store. Yeah, it could be cool. It's great promotion to, I don't know, have a quick Google after this, but type in decentralized podcast. I bet you nothing shows up. The D-Pod. D-Pod. <laughs> the Wii D-Pod. <laughs> Dude, we are on fire. <laughs> this is what we charge a big box. You like what you're listening? You like what you're seeing? We have the science experience as a service and OnlyFans accounts. <laughs> for everyone. Uh, yeah, coming soon. Um, yeah. Dude, times are tough. If you find a way to make money, go for it. I'm not judging anyone. Mate, I'll tell you something crazy. There was a Twitch streamer. No, leave it rolling. There was a Twitch streamer, and she's like one of the most popular ones. So she would have been making hundreds of thousand dollars a year easily. Then she made an OnlyFans account. She said what Twitch would pay her in two months, it would have taken her 10 years to make what she made on OnlyFans in one month. So it's one month of work for five years what she was making for before purely just so people could see her naked. The way you laid it out, well, that's... my non-mathematician brain got lost at some I laid point. It so out why like... is she making more money? I laid it, laid it out like that because that's how she did. But basically, what she was making... Well, on... she's clearly not a mathematician either. It no, just well, simplified that's... for me. Yeah, that's why she has an OnlyFans account. <laughs> <laughs> what she was making on Twitch... So she made one month in OnlyFans? No. <laughs> what she would have made on Twitch in... Five years, she made on OnlyFans in one month. Whoa. That's fucked. Whoa. 
It would have been millions of dollars in one month. Well, I was listening to a really good podcast. I think it was Indie Hackers. I love Indie Hackers podcast. I love the range of interviewees they have. In fact, we, we talk about this podcast being inspired in Joe Rogan, but I think it's more the format of Joe Rogan being open-ended, no cap in time. Yeah. You can like joke and navigate your way in and out of serious topics, depending on the guest. But I think that the Indie Hackers podcast definitely would be a bigger inspiration, uh, at least a closer one-to-one inspiration. Cortland is doing an amazing job. They have a really wide range of guests all in their journey, trying to tap into running their own businesses. And I like to see that transition and the worldview and how they tackle challenges. He recently had two of the top grossing performers on OnlyFans. And they went into a lot of detail of how it works. <clears throat> and a problem that they talked about, which I thought it was fascinating, was there's a lot of people that are able to build an audience elsewhere, say on TikTok or even like traditional whatever media people. And then they announce an OnlyFans account. So a lot of people pay before any content is being posted. And then they post like really vanilla content. Let's just say that they didn't manage the user's expectations very well. Mm. So people paid for who knows what was in their head, but we can tell. <laughs> and then they uploaded whatever, like yeah. a photo showing like an elbow. Yeah. yeah. No, I've so that was a problem for them too. because now there's been a lot of like credit card, like payment reversal and the platform is getting very strict and changing the rules. So I guess that, what I'm trying to say is that you can definitely make a lot of money in OnlyFans, but you need to bring your own audience. I think that seems to be the formula. Um, yeah, for so sure. If you had a Twitch audience, you could probably charge the same audience by headcount a multiple of what each was paying on Twitch. Because Twitch would have been what? Sponsors? No, it's people not. pay directly? I, I don't use Twitch. It's, it's both. You can... Subscribe to them for two dollars fifty, oh five dollars a month, and they get two fifty. Twitch gets two fifty, and then sponsors, and then donations. So there's quite a few revenue streams, and then plus they sell merch and stuff like that. Interesting, it's a different world I know nothing about. <laughs> anyway, there is conveniently a new NFT guild which joins the ranks of CreateBase and other sort of like strong community-led digital art projects. So I think that, once again, leveraging all these ecosystem pieces against each other, with each other, is definitely a winning formula. We've got the product of the UX Guild. We're very small. We're recruiting. We're trying to get the word out there of what it is that we do. And we've got this podcast, <laughs> very small, very new. We're trying to get anyone to tune in and listen. So I think that finding these avenues with the existing community would be great. And if you think about it in a viral way, it takes 10 listeners to enjoy it and recommend it to one more person. And it slowly build up over time or it has the potential to. Yeah, no, I think you're onto something, man. It's um, exciting times for near, exciting times for both of us. I know we both have our feet in a number of different projects. D-Pod. D-Pod. The first D-Pod. <laughs> first day pod so anyway it's been a great chat i think we we touched on some very interesting topics wait until you replay it <laughs> i know that is the problem no, like, when i'm saying stuff. things i'm like 
wow, there's some gold so in here. So profound. <laughs> yeah, and like we're not even high or anything. This is sober me. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, go back to it. Delete. <laughs> yeah, the, whatever it is, two hours that we've been talking, it's going to be like five minutes. <laughs> oh, for sure. It's going to be just like the me shilling the podcast and just bounce out. Ed. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. I know that most people don't mind. Clearly, there's a market for super long podcasts, but maybe we're not there yet. No. Tell you what, if you're listening to this bit of the podcast, which means that you've stuck with us for a very long time, you get an NFT. (laughs) And you get an NFT. And you. And you. And I get an NFT. Everyone gets an NFT. NFTs for everyone. <laughs> it's going to be Ollie in a kangaroo. No. <laughs> We're not doing that. <laughs> Internet. Reveal yourself. Oh, God. What have I done? <laughs> the powers of the underworld have been unleashed. Great. Oh, no, look, you'll be fine because people can't understand us. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah. That's good. It's been great chatting as usual. I'll just stop the recording, but I think we can still have a couple of closing comments when I stop.